that level. Uh, this is this one's all my favorite. <laughs> this episode is all oh, you're gonna have to yeah, carry I was, this. I was kind of hoping. Oh, at least like Jack will come and do some of the work, <laughs> all of the work. At least he maybe he'll direct it. Maybe what will normally what normally happens is that um, Jack kind of directs, and I, I talk. Mean, uh, yeah, I mean as the listener knows, uh. Jack collects some quotes. Has some things to say about those quotes, uh, and then sort of hopes that by reading the quote, it will. Well, I, I mean, I suppose I hope that uh, it will trigger in me exactly. some kind of process of just like being able to articulate. That's in an ideal world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I feel like like any any reasonable pro- podcast, really, what what one would do, what we would do, would be like actually have some kind of division of labor work out in advance like who was perhaps feeling comfortable talking on what topics uh-huh. but i'm so terrified of the prospect of actually committing yeah to being able to talk on any specific thing come up with any particular collection of words in the right order at any required moment kind of thing and yeah. i much more enjoy just, <laughs> just yeah. letting it all hang on chance yeah see what will happen there's gonna be a lot of chance this week <laughs> i mean yeah it's unfortunate really because last week's one uh, what last i realized week. after oh, yeah. last week was just a bit like we can only really we can only represent it to the extent that we're able mm. um so so long as we're not revealed to be like totally incapable of representing <laughs> exactly. it in any way possible, yeah. then I'm sure it will be fine. But exactly. I think we've got our work out this yeah. week. Yeah. We might actually be in danger of just like oh, this week's totally gonna be failing so to represent. I, I I've gone back and forth as to whether we'll we'll do we'll do some, we'll talk we will um maybe we'll do some preamble before we get into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've gone back and forth as to whether I I um how I feel about this sort of text. I was reading it and getting very angry, mm. and then and then. I had a thought which I then decided was unreasonable on my sort of <laughs> my midweek kind of like second reading sure. kind of like getting a bit more into it was mm. just a bit kind of like oh this is okay mm. let me just take it at face value I don't have to judge it based on other things that I've been reading sure. and now I've flipped right back towards just, yeah. being, just being furious with it yeah. and I, I told myself and then I, I told myself uh, I sort of made a declaration to myself that I thought I might share and then thought when I was being more favourable, that's probably a bit harsh, but now I've decided I do mean it, which is, <laughs> let's never choose a reading because we feel like we probably ought to read it. That's a good idea. That's a very good idea, which is why this week we're reading State and Revolution by, <laughs> by Vladimir Lenin. Um, my, yeah, my experience with reading it was, I would say, very similar to yours, but I only, re- well, I kind of reread it. I went through it once, and when I got to the halfway point, I was like, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then I read the latter half and i was just kind of like but i think that's just because i don't really have any idea is it something about french and the way french is translated (laughs) that necessitates that exactly one third of the text needs to be written in brackets (laughs) or italicized yeah i mean i don't necessarily mind italics i mean the problem is there is a diversity of punctuation that one can use Mm. Your sort of your asides and your parentheses don't need to all be in brackets, particularly when the content of those brackets normally is actually part of the sentence for the yeah. most part. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's just, exactly. An, it's just an excuse to extend a two-line sentence over three paragraphs by putting most of it in brackets. There was a lot of extending going on in this yeah. book. There was a lot of, or not in this, in this essay, a lot of. Um, I will explain this, but first, I have two theses. To get to my other two theses, <laughs> I'll explain this one, and then like 30 pages later it gets to the first I mean, I've only just noticed that it has a subtitle, Notes Towards yeah. an Investigation. Exactly. So, I mean, it's annoying, isn't it, that we now have to, like, I've just realised that I have to be, 
I mean, the same with like the Miller Band, where we're always like, it's an introductory book. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we look favorably on that book anyway. Mm. But like, also, there is this constant kind of like, it's an introductory book. It's yeah. from 1977. <laughs> yeah. And we have to say that this also is kind of like notes toward an investigation. And I suppose, I suppose we could have just read a whole book. But here's the thing. I, I'm, I, I don't know if he wrote a whole book about this. I could have looked that up. But this was published as an essay. And so it had, while it has that title, like, I feel like it's a bit of a cop out because it's like just for him to just regurgitate everything onto the page and be like, well, so a lack of structure. So what? It's notes. It's like, yeah, but you published this in an academic like thing. Yeah. Published yeah, this in yeah, a yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I was, yeah, I wasn't sure because, like, I kind of, I was trying to I, uh, just, just, just now, just before we started, I was just trying to work out, like, is does this deserve to be like, like an er text kind of thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. is like yeah. people do talk about this? I mean, we've we've not even introduced the podcast. Yet. I was going to say we uh, haven't, yeah. like, we haven't, we haven't checked in with each other. We haven't we'll even said what we it is that said we're reading. Yeah, no <laughs> I mean, about. clearly, I think we both had a lot of. We just wanted to vent. <laughs> we just wanted to get into it. So, three things. First of all, uh, hello, welcome. This is auxiliary statements. I'm Jack. I'm Dan. Um, the second thing was what we're reading this week is uh, Lewis Al Thuser's, we're just going to call him Al, Ideology and Ideological State Apparatuses, Notes Towards an Investigation. And the third thing was, I forget, doesn't really matter. I guess it wasn't important. How am I? How are you? That was the third thing. It was. Uh, How yeah, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Good job. I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Aside from like some residual fury, yeah. which is, which is, which is heavy sure, now. Sure. It's, it's, it's i've been away mm, mm, um mm. uh it's been a bit of a non-week so mm. i don't really have much to update you on mm, sure we planted some broad beans in the garden last weekend oh did so you now we've got two crops of broad beans uh, potentially were they uh aqua dulce broad beans because they, they weren't were, they were i think they're dwarf broad beans oh interesting were they autumn sowing yes oh interesting where'd you get them from we went to the garden center which is probably, must be the same one that you went to is it in blue the one all the way yeah 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 oh, okay yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I like about you as we were driving up there. I was thinking about you presumably walking on the walk way there. there. You did say pilgrimage last yeah, weekend. It was a pilgrimage. Last week, rather. And <laughs> well, and I was going to walk back. That was my plan. But I had a bag of manure and I was like, oh, I'm just going to get the bus. Forget it. I got my mask. I'm getting on the bus. First time I've got on the bus, bus with your bag of manure. With the bag of manure, yeah. I'd fully just, rotted manure. Right? Fully rotted manure. <laughs> Um, and yes, I'm um, doing, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. If you're, uh, yeah, it's also kind of a non-week for me. I think the winter time changes as we say every week, but this week I mean it. It's getting on my nerves. Yeah. 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 I, I now, I now can't get back from home and go into the garden yeah. for even five minutes and see any sunshine yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's already set when I'm getting back and I don't, I mean, yeah, I do quite a short day. So yeah. <laughs> anybody who finishes at five, I mean, you know, like, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, today that... was a weird today. Today, the sky's cleared just long enough to see the sun go down. Yeah, I know. Which was, was like yeah. nice, but also a little galling. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Hopefully, hopefully it will be nicer tomorrow. Yes. And today it was weird. I went, I left the house this morning and it's just, the world was very quiet. It was, was yeah, I've noticed cars on last the road. night. I was just trying to work out like, yeah, did something, did somebody, Somebody do I, something? Is there something that I'm supposed to know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Last um, last night and today, very quiet. Very, mm. very quiet. I looked at the time that the sun is going to set on the solstice or whatever, and it's just like 3.30. Uh, it's just like a... But it's only uh, like three weeks away now. Yes. From our perspective. Three or almost. four, yeah. Three, three, yeah. three uh, Yes. Beans, time, the things we time, go over every week. Time. Yes. It made me think today, though. We 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 really should have in our in our episode 
Jack Zipes fantasy, mm. we really should have talked about zombies. Because, <laughs> okay. like, I don't know. I thought you were going to say Jack and the Beanstalk. No, no, no. He does no, talk no, about no, that. No, 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 no. It was just like, the world is really quiet. It's quite nice and peaceful. Mm. How nice it would be if there was some kind of apocalypse. <laughs> you know, every once in a while I'm like, it would be kind of nice if there yeah, was some yeah, sort of apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. We're getting there. Yeah, Maybe yeah. episode 100 will be at the apocalypse. Come, yeah, okay. But it'll be a bad, it'll be like, an, it'll be an environmental apocalypse. Yeah. A really, yeah. A really boring apocalypse. Sad, depressing. <laughs> as opposed to like a fun one. Yeah. Would you rather have an alien apocalypse or zombie um, apocalypse? I think I'd be quite hurt if the aliens showed up and they were like really <laughs> malicious. Yeah. Exterminatus. Like, oh. <laughs> like, sorry. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose unless they had a good reason for they, exterminating they might. us. <laughs> they might. They might. Um, whereas zombies, like, I've heard it said, it's not my thesis, that the, the reason why people kind of like zombie apocalypses is that, like, it reduces the world back down to, like, a, a scale. Like, it's me and my friends. Who are these people? <laughs> Who are the they? The reason why people like zombie apocalypses. Oh, no, but, like, no, sorry. Okay. What I mean is why people enjoy... Sure. television and movies sure which uh, have that kind of apocalypse in it mm. or rather seek to represent mm. an apocalypse that has the preface zombie because uh-huh. <laughs> um, it brings us all down well it, what no it, no it kind of like i think it gets i think it i think it um it gets rid of a certain alienation and mm. um it 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 posits that like you and your sort of like small group of friends are of worth and everybody else in the world is kind of a mindless automata and oh interesting um, and kind of like i mean obviously uh they always portray it in such a way that like all of the human beings in the world are really awful and horrible and obviously you don't no, one does oh, yeah. not want to sure. face the threat of being eaten by a zombie sure um who would but like banding together with your friends in a solidaristic way and like facing down a small quantity of adversity and like having well, to build a sort of like community that's not necessarily um I think capitalistic in nature like, I think we I could know, there is something there is there there is something that it's trying to strike out I think sure perhaps not like the walking dead or something maybe you are a cultural theorist after all oh, who knows? <laughs> I think we would do yeah, all right in terms of the time. yeah I think we would do all right in terms of the society building, in terms of the you mean broad bean growing. You and I? No, you and I. Okay. In terms okay. of bo- broad bean growing. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah There's yeah. plenty of protein in broad beans. I've heard. <laughs> Whoever told you that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Could have been a fool. Very wise. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was our broad bean update for the week. Yeah. Um, a weather update. Weather update. It is still cold. It is still dark, and we hope you enjoyed last week's episode. We're going back to Ralph Miliband. Uh, sneak preview of this week's episode. Dan doesn't know this, but we will be going back to a little bit of Ralph Miliband <laughs> this week as well, which is exciting. I bought my uh, cheeky little Ralph Miliband book. Um, yeah. 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 Because we're worried we're not going to be able to represent this very well or explain this very well or understand it. So that's the we, thing. We'll have to fall back on somebody we do understand. <laughs> like, can we preface this really quickly by going back to the intellectuals conversation from last week and kind of adding on to it in a way? And let me preface it by saying this preface the preface. You hear a lot, and we discussed this in our Jack Sipes episode, I think, where it was like the role of Marxist cultural theorists versus the role of like more hard science Marxists, right? Um, I guess like, you know, economists or like political science nerds or something like that. They're all nerds. <laughs> but when I get a little frustrated when you hear quibbling between academics because it's like the academics 
first of all, it's off-putting entirely. Let me just say that to all of you, to the cultural theorists, to the economists, to the political guys, to the Lenin cap guys. It's all off-putting to just like a normal person. Nobody cares about like the inner squabbling. And also like the only time that like the differences between like, you know, like minor differences between like, you know, uh, guys who are like economic determinists versus guys who like, oh, once you have the revolution, you have to do this. Like the little kind of like, what I might consider like kind of more minor differences in like leftist of course between like Marxists and stuff. The only time any of that matters is when you actually have power. So it's very frustrating to me, I think, seeing academics who are Marxists you kind of be a little full of themselves and kind of like squabble a lot and kind of be a little pedantic and be a little like mm -hmm. full of themselves, but too big for their britches. There's a lot of that going on, I think, in this week's reading. And I think that that's one of the reasons that it was kind of off-putting is because whenever I see Marxism written about in a very like froofy kind of like holier than thou, I'm smarter than you kind of way. And really trying to put forward that like academic verbiage and like long par paragraphs full of like, you know, like you were saying, the like parentheses and stuff like that. I find it very off putting mm -hmm. because that's not going to convince anybody to follow their best interests. Mm -hmm. And by anybody, I mean the people we should be trying to convince. We might call the working class or just like normal people. You know what I mean? So I think that that was the main reason I had a problem with this. And I think that it also could be that I'm an idiot. <laughs> Discuss. Not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Not mutually exclusive. Exactly. But yes, Louis Althusser's uh, ideology and ideological state apparatuses notes towards an investigation. There are parentheses in the title. <laughs> As Dan said, er text on ideology, kind of one of yeah, those this... drop down menus. I want to be a Marxist. I want to read something. Give me something to read. They yeah. suggest you this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 the sense that I get. Mm. It seems to be on like university C syllabuses and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was expecting it to be more, like, complete, I suppose. Um, <laughs> if I'd been given that as a student to read, I'd, I mean, I was baffled. I think student students anyway, probably get, like, fragments of it, which makes sense. <laughs> I think it Perhaps. probably makes yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can definitely think of some lucid fragments yes. in otherwise Indeed. chaotic text. <laughs> it <Perhaps>. is chaotic. <laughs> for, but it's, for it's, it's difficult. Like, yeah, I flip back and forth because there's a certain extent to which his style and his attitude is one that we would kind of condoned to an extent like it's um it's sort of like making a statement and then giving the lots of addendums and sort of like sure sort of poking holes but he never kind of fills the holes kind of thing you sometimes feel like you're being a a bit ga gaslit that you don't really know what he is that he's actually saying like he'll say one paragraph and then he'll contradict it contradict it with the next one yeah and then promise you some kind of like synthesis of the contradiction some kind of explanation some point later in the text and it never really seems to come um, yes, last, and, but it, yeah, I, yeah I, I found myself struggling because there is an endearing way in which he writes, which is very kind of like, I, I this this is just a sort of gesture toward a thing, and I sure. don't really know, and uh, this requires more thought, and like, and he speaks in the first person, and he says I quite a lot, and I don't know, there, there's yeah. something about that way which, which makes me feel inclined favorably toward him and sure. then i read a little bit more and yeah. I just become again. yeah well it's the dissonance and i think that's what's so frustrating because he's kind of trying to have this like oh yes i understand that i am an academic and that i am one of the smartest people in france of course but then it's like so it's very off-putting i found it very alienating trying to read I mean, what are kind of relatively simple concepts i suppose yeah that's without saying anything of the like this half. is the problem it felt like really what you were trying to do is pass a whole a very quite a small number of very sort of simplistic descriptions <laughs> sort of dressed up as something that's meant to be more prof profound kind of thing mm. and then you come away either feeling like 
I'm an idiot for not understanding this. Yeah. Or I'm an idiot because what I've taken away is some some things that were actually really obvious. It that's can't possibly point. be that's the Yeah. <laughs> it, this can't be what I'm supposed to take away from this because the things that it is saying seem relatively obvious. Yeah. Um and also you're so infuriated you really want to struggle <laughs> to poke holes in it and criticize it. <laughs> and at the same time really all you're getting is some things that are to some extent self evident. I don't re- I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um there is a there is a sort of stylistic difference between this and something like the Ellen Mixon's wood or the Oh totally or the the um Ralph Miliband. Uh in that like particularly Wood, Meeks's Wood, she um she does give you she gives you a solid thesis, but it's all sort of prefaced on a huge number of like uh examples kind of thing. It kind of feels like she starts with the sort of complex granular detail and sort of like synthesizes some kind of answer. Mm. Whereas it kind of feels like Althusser works the other way around and that he sort of like starts with these quite grand um proclamations that are quite abstract. And then kind of make some effort to flesh them out. But there's so often in this one, it's like, oh, one example will do kind of thing. Or like, <laughs> this is kind of self-evident, so I'm not really going to explain it in any great detail kind of thing. Um, yeah. I, 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 sort of, I miss the readings where you get like, <laughs> I don't know, like 10 examples of a thing. And it's all sort of all like. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, they were definitely written to be understood. Miliband and Meeksons <laughs> Wood were like really making an effort to just like some schmuck like me be able to read it and go, oh, I understand what Marx was trying to say yeah, and yeah, yeah. it has yeah. real value for me in my life. Mm. Mixon's Wood did a great job of, exani- of explaining why you should know the real history of how capitalism came into being and yeah. not just being like, look at me, I understand how capitalism was formed and all yeah. these other people are so wrong. I mean, she does do that, but like she also makes it pertinent to you. This one was very much like, I read Marx, I understood it, it was so complicated, uh-huh. but I managed to parse it, and here's what well, I gained. Yeah, I mean, I have a suspicion that what he thinks he's doing, and maybe, maybe it is what he's doing. I, I like, I, I mean, every every time that I end up being really sort of gesturing towards like my skepticism, it might be based on my ignorance, similar to what you said. <laughs> similar <laughs> to what I said. <laughs> I mean, like some kind of if some Althusser who's a scholar wants to come and correct us, <laughs> it's quite all right. I don't mind. Um, but, I, but but I do but I it does I think he probably thinks that he's doing something very similar to what Marx's attitude is right like in Capital sure. Marx starts with a whole series of abstractions, um, and sure. then sort of like applies them afterwards kind of thing. Sure, yeah, um, and it is very much. So I don't necessarily want to criticize but... that strategy in and of itself. Yeah, uh, but in this instance, at least, <laughs> at least in these forty pages or what have you. Yeah, well, um, of of a notes toward a yeah whatever the other one of the yeah. You don't necessarily get it. <laughs> yeah. I stand by what I said last week. I think this guy's an anarchist. Sì, su, da tutto d'accordo. So io sono anarchista. Sociale. Non sono no, non sono comunista perché l'anarchismo sociale è al di là del comunismo. And I did send Dan a video where he was like, I'm an anarchist. Did he say he was an I anarchist? I mean, he more or less did. Did he, did he, was he just sort of like... He's like, you're so an anarchist. Elucidating the sort of like historic similarities. He was sort of explaining he was the, doing that. how how the division between communists and anarchists came about, or Marxists sure. and anarchists. And yeah, the, I mean, yeah, pretty classic. If you take that uh, 
uh, route of reasoning, which he does, which is, I think, more or less, like, pretty accurate for the most part, where he basically says, like, the split obviously came with, like, Marx and McEwen. Uh-huh, so yeah, classic. Yeah, 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 so yeah. classic. It was just these two pricks. <laughs> it's just awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two large men with big, bushy beards uh, and large egos. Mm. Well, should we dive in? Should we go for uh, it? Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? So the main uh, point... That's ostensibly what we're here for. That is... Uh, well, yeah. Uh, no. Doing something like that. Um... We just, we're really only doing this episode because we want the Althusser hashtag. We want to get all those SoundCloud freaks. <laughs> Althusser yeah, way. Be, better be a popular, better yeah. be a popular. Yeah. I woke up at like, it was last, maybe it was Saturday over Sunday last week. Mm. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. I think I was waking from a nightmare, but also a cat may have woken me up. And sure. also I think there's a possibility someone was letting off fireworks at four o'clock in the morning. All right. Not really quite One of your sure cats, why. maybe. Um, and as I was laying there trying to get back to sleep, I had this recollect, this realization <laughs> that, um, Instagram functions on hashtags. Oh. And so then I had to go back and add hashtags to all the, 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 the several posts I'd put on Instagram. Cause... Good hashtags, though. Very good hashtags. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you uh-huh. do the hashtag whenever we do something Miliband related. I'm just going to put Miliband. I just decided to put Ralph Miliband on every yes. post I put Good on point. There. Good idea. Um, you put Ralph just... Miliband is the best Miliband. Yeah, I put, because yeah. I'm on SoundCloud, I put uh, Miliband Wave. Uh, I got some, <laughs> you know, nice, nice. some good vibes. Um, good. All right, Althusser, what's he doing here? Uh, so ostensibly the point of this whole essay, and like we said, it's about 60 pages, at least in the edition I have. Um, he is making the point, at least in the beginning, that a lot of Marxists around the time he was writing, which was, was 1969 and 1970, um, didn't focused a lot on how the, like, um, the means of production reproduce themselves and how our economic modes reproduce themselves but not so much about how our social relations reproduce themselves and so to him that all comes down to ideology but his definition of ideology is um it's very broad and it's very well not maybe broad's not the right word but he ties a lot of stuff into it and it doesn't just mean like uh god save the queen you know what i mean and it's not just like this idea of like god bless the nation state all of this stuff um so yeah, he parses the material implications of ideology as well as kind of like the philosophical implications of what it means to have an ideology. And obviously he ties ideology into class. And um, yes, I did think it was very, very interesting reading the bits about him tying ideology into a material existence where he kind of says that like, maybe I was wrong about this, maybe I misread it, but he was kind of saying that like an early Marx uh, might kind of make the distinction as, uh, of ideology, Marx and Engels as being like this kind of like imaginary kind of thing mm-hmm. that doesn't have a real material base in your mind. And it's just like, oh, you just think these things because like the goddamn church, dude, like whatever, man, my boss. But like he says, no, ideology has material base, right? Yeah, it's basically the same as what we were saying last week about um, the early Marx thinking that capitalism was just going to remove a lot of illusions kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, in a similar way. Yeah, he, I mean, he makes this analogy between ideology and um and marx and how dreams were considered pre and post freud sure um yeah yeah just, could just you expand whole, on that bit because i'm, I'm not really sure that i can <laughs> <laughs> means, explain freud's career <laughs> i mean o- 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 only to the extent that um pre-freud and i suppose uh, pre-marx or in the early marx um dreams and also the and uh, at the same time the um illusionary sort of fake fake i don't know <laughs> illusionary nature of sure um ideology were sort of considered to be um well maybe dreams is the better example kind of just 
just abstracted as a sort of random collection of ideas kind of thing, like mm-hmm. a certain um, working of the brain kind of thing, but didn't actually have any particular meaning or um, sort of relationship to um, hu- sort of the, the subjectivity of the human being who was doing dreaming, if sure. that makes any sense. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I suppose there are some ways to think of dreams where it's just a kind of like processing of the day's events kind of thing, which does have some material bearing. Um, but obviously sort of Freud came along and sort of like um, wanted to read into be- behind the sort of like substance, the substance appearance of the dream. Um, Freud had this question of like, so what 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 processes in the brain are collecting these collection of elements together uh, and f- creating this representation? I think that makes sense. Sure. So, um, I, I, if I remember my sort of Freud terminology correctly, kind of thing, there's this process of um, what he calls the dream work. There is a work going on which is presenting you with the context substance of the dream. So he wanted to dig a bit deeper and say, like, so why are you representing these elements in these ways? What kind of activity is happening on your unconscious, which is putting pieces gotcha. together in this gotcha. particular arrangement? I mean, that's that's Freud's understanding of the unconscious. Um, in its entirety, I think, and um, to it to a certain extent, well, and and Lacan's taking from Freud that this that the unconscious is like yeah, like if conscious thinking is like um, loads of elements connected by a sort of logical p- process kind of thing, like the unconscious is all of the elements, but they're sort of like reaccumulated and reconnected in different ways, mm. um, and so that's why they sort of throw up all these sort of like particular peculiarities and the like. Mm. Um, but here he here he starts off with with Mark with well may, maybe the early Marx or the pre Marx presenting ideology as a kind of um, purely a sort of like non logical kind of random assemblage of Things, sort of mistaken ideas, mistaken yeah. ideas kind of yeah. thing and I suppose the I suppose um, the sort of materiality that he's trying to put into the concept of ideology is quite similar to what Freud is trying to put into the dream in that like. The, the the surface appearance of the dream has a sort of material underbearing it, sure. I suppose, in the sense that like, sure, or at least uh, there's something else there, going there on. There are there are there are reasonable rational connections between these things that are causing this appearance, kind of thing. Sure, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope that was true. No, that all makes sense. That totally makes sense because when he he basically at one point says, you know, uh, nobody before Freud had any idea about this and i was like what uh what uh, really because i can <laughs> expand on that but that's just because i'm an idiot um so that leads us nicely i think into our first quote where he talks about it's about midway through where he's talking about the material base of ideology he says the individual in question behaves in such in such a way adopts such and such a practical attitude and what is more participates in certain regular practices which are those of ide- the ideological apparatus on which depend the ideas which he has in all consciousness freely chosen as a subject. Jesus thought that sentence would end a lot earlier. <laughs> if he believes in God, he goes to church to attend mass, kneels, prays, confesses, does penance, and then there's a long uh, uh, parentheses, whatever, and naturally repents and so on. If he believes in duty, he will have the corresponding attitudes inscribed in ritual practices according to the correct principles. If he believes in justice, he will submit unconditionally to the rules of law and may even protest when they are violated, sign petitions, take part in demonstrations, etc., etc. So he's basically saying that, yeah, you can point to certain uh, practices that people do that um, have their base in ideology and what's more he believes that ideology is like a class-bound uh, set of principles, 
right? Or at least kind of like maybe like the dominant ideologies of the mm. time, which is hard to kind of parse again. I feel like I've used the word parse like three times <laughs> in this show, but it's interesting because I understand that. I understand where he's coming from with all that, but the later bits were just after that he kind of starts to talk about like, bro, like, have you ever like shaken somebody's hand? Like, what's the deal with that? Isn't that wild? Like, why do we even do that, dude? There are a couple yeah, of what a I... Fam- <laughs> yeah, famous, I mean, the famous story, not famous, famous example of his that I think gets quoted a lot and I thought it would be clearer what it meant. Yeah. I think, was the thing about like the, the policeman shouting, hey, you. Yeah. And um, and the the person, the culprit, the, per- the person who... Uh, is most guilty in the crowd turning because they they're sort of like um, mm. they're constructed in their guilt by the gesture that is made by the policeman kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe even the policeman doesn't know who he's gesturing toward, but the gesture still sort of like has its effect kind of thing. That's a smart way to be a cop. Yeah. Hey, you. <laughs> just going around shouting, "Hey, you!" Like, yes, you're yeah, under arrest. <laughs> what did you think then of like the bits where he was? Because he kind of uses that example of like when you see someone in the street and you go oh hello bobby and mm-hmm. you shake bobby's hand he's mm-hmm. like the act of shaking someone's hand the act of being like hello acknowledging their existence that's like the ideological like socio like socially acceptable way of like acknowledging someone's existence and being happy that you see them and acknowledging them and then you're on your way you do that little ritual and that's yeah, like yeah, yeah. a little bit of ideology yeah. for him what do you think of the idea where he was like um you can't think of what i'm saying because he spends with this whole essay being like it's all class-bound ideology, all has to do with the ruling class, blah, 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 blah. Um, he, but then he kind of pivots and says, but don't think in a future socialist society that there wouldn't be ideology, because without ideology, uh, things would get kind of wild. Uh-huh. What do you think of that? I don't remember hearing that quote. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think in, as a good reaction, I have any objection to the idea that like um, socialism, communism, <laughs> post-capitalism, whatever you end up with, uh, uh, our imagined... Utopias. Uh, utopia yeah. uh, <laughs> would be ideology free if if it is the fact that um in your broadest definition of ideology basically all you mean is uh social convention sure um ways of behaving um just just general rules that govern uh, your relationship to norms, the world yeah. or like yeah various yeah. norms and that kind of thing mm. and i mean like it, it all has a resonance with me um when it comes to like how the subject in certain um, strands of psychoanalysis is imagined kind of thing. Like, sure. um, or in any type of philosophy, I suppose, just like you're conditioned by your environment. And, um, and it, there's that interesting example, which might as well be lifted from Lacan, which is kind of like, um, it, it, there is this, it, there's a little while where he's, where he's distinguishing between the uh, individuals and subjects. Mm. Um, uh, presumably individuals being the kind of like, raw material yeah gotcha. subjects being uh how the how the human person the human being exists posts their uh insertion into ideology once they've once they've sort of like come to represent a certain collection of ideas which would be their sure. ideology kind of thing um but he uses this example what so he introduces that distinction and then a little <laughs> while later he sort of actually says well there, there is no individual before subjectivity sign all individuals are subjects um and the example he uses is the kind of like even when you're born you're born into i mean what lacan Mm. would call like a signifying chain like a connection of signifiers like you have a you have a name and you have by virtue of the fact that you have a name and you have an a sort of imagined future you also have a place in the world even before you're born into it kind of thing and because you have parents you sort of have your parents name and sort of like yeah um and then you're sort of like i suppose you're sort of like 
given your sort of parents supposing that your parents are religious maybe you're sort of given some religious significance or like some ritual is conveyed upon you to sort of institute you into a religion uh, before you even have any possibility of like considering these things and i suppose you can expand that example to however many different ways in which like mm. um human children even before they're born are imagined and constructed and how the society exists in such a way that like um, uh, that uh, it's a very gnarly way of describing baptism <laughs> <laughs> very gnarly freaks me out a little bit were you baptized no me neither yeah. my brother was but i was not okay that's um uh, what in the I don't, yeah, I, yeah a revelation i guess a revelation <laughs> the holy water actually burned when it hit my brother's head so they were like okay maybe we won't do this maybe again. yeah maybe it's not fair yeah no i don't know i think they were just kind of like we, yeah, you know, they, they, they the just took, like, took one look at you and like, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly unholy child <laughs> unholy beast put him away um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah um anyway yeah no my i mean i yeah i'm i'm my parents Thoroughly atheistic kind sure. of um, <laughs> I'm guessing your brother was not. My baptized. brother also not baptized. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the idea of doing one and not the other, just as like a controlled experiment. <laughs> <laughs> seeing what happens. You're the control group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should have been baptized. So how are you both doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I should have yeah, been yeah, baptized. Yeah, we'll yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, um, baptisms. This baptisms, is a somewhere baptisms. in the middle of it being anti and pro Baptist podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baptist? I mean baptism. <laughs> Baptist. Yeah, cool. Why yeah, not? Mind. Yeah, whatever. Um, whatever. Uh, yeah. So we're I back. Mean, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, should we make the distinction what? that he makes between RSAs and ISAs? Should we go there? Um, Do you have anything else you want to add to that? What is there to say more about ideology? Basically, this text is separated into two halves, and the second mm-hmm. half is all talking about ideology. Yes. And the, bit more of, philosophical. the first half is yeah, in a gradually, increasingly philosophical way. And then with a sort of like a sort of notion thrown in right at the end, which is sort of like meant to overturn the whole thing, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll explain that in a minute. Sure. Uh, yeah, and then the fir- the first half is more um, more direct, more um, includes discussion of the state and uh, the capitalist mode of production and its reproduction. Mm-hmm. More in like a classically Marxist kind of sense, yeah. although he's reacting I to suppose. that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, from a, from an ideal, I mean, I'm sort of pleased that we've started with the ideology stuff because it's the bit that I don't understand as well. So yep. we can get it out of the way. Oh, let's move on. <laughs> Looks like we've covered that. Maybe you're hoping we could just sort of fall back on the the, Pol- fir- the first half, the, yeah. the more political, the more sort of yes. historical, that was my state-centered bit that we have a yes. bit more, a bit more of familiarity. Keep behind with. the curtain. Now let's uh, get to the stuff. Hopefully, we can say more about. Um, I mean, I mean, I suppose that structure of ideology that he's giving us is predicated on this notion, which he sort of he, he suggests that um, ideology doesn't have a history. By which I think he means that he wants to find the kind of like the nature of all ideologies. He wants to find sure. something specific about human thought, kind of mm. thing. Um, that so, seems like a so, huge undertaking. <laughs> when he said that, he was like, I plan on putting forward this thesis. I was like, here we go. It's like, all right. Yeah, you believe that, you believe anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Two paragraphs down, it's like, oh, I've said all I can possibly say about this at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I need a smoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what you used to imagine this as a series of lectures where he sort of like, goes yeah. out for a cigarette occasionally or like, yeah. loses his train of thought. Or, Before like... I get to those three theses, let me get to this one thesis. Yeah, about maybe four. this might be like a sort of like, the, uh, the sort of like 
lit- the, the literary text equivalent of editing a podcast. Yeah. You're, just, you're just cobbling together the most rational bits that someone might be able yeah, to At least say. you didn't like write in like throat clearings or pauses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dot, 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 dot. Yeah, so what are we saying? So, um, the state. No. Are we talking about the state? Let's go. Okay, we're talking about the state. <laughs> Um, Parse for us this theory of the history of ideology. I need a smoke. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you say that in French, but I get the feeling you said it a lot. (laughs) I like this idea, from what what I understand of the the thrust of the argument, I suppose now. Um, He has this, he suggests that subjects are interpolated by ideology. Okay. By which I think I mean that. By, the, wow. by which I think he means. <laughs> by which I think he means that, like, um, there. Well, it's sort of interpolation is a kind of a certain amount of filling in of blanks. Mm. I think in mathematics, it's a kind of like um, filling in the blanks in a. Se- you sort of look at a sequence of things and you sort of fill in spaces in between, kind of thing. Sure. Um, so it's a degree of. I suppose it's a degree of construction. But I suppose it's I suppose it's gesturing toward a type of work that ideology does, which is sort of incomplete, perhaps, or like mm. um, an active process of sort of like uh, constructing and sure. I don't know. So the state. So the state. <laughs> I was gonna say my my notes end. On Maybe we can come back 49. to it. Maybe we can come back to it. We'll come back to the ideology. It'll mm-hmm. come up. Mm-hmm. So the state. Let us start this off by returning to our old friend, Ralph Miliband. <laughs> because if you remember from last week's episode, Ralph Miliband, <laughs> in a sentence, basically just threw this whole essay yeah, aside. Not the whole essay, yeah, 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 yeah. but like the whole bit about calling RSAs and ISAs, which we'll explain, uh, uh, putting the S in there as kind of silly. So RSAs and ISAs. I think we kind of went into this last week, but just to recap, RSAs, repressive state apparatuses, those are the things that enforce the will of the state. Those are the uh, military, cops, border patrol, things like that, you know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Security agencies, I suppose, um, although they might actually kind of flop. Um, and then there are ISAs, ideological state apparatuses, which are the things that impose the ideology of the state, right? So... Those okay, so yeah, we we said this last week, but those are the things like the family unit, media, uh, all these different things, schools, which he gets into a lot, and we'll talk about. But um, he explains. I'll put forward both arguments, and we'll get to which one we like more, because uh, uh, Althusser in this likes to. Uh, he says that he knows what you're thinking when he calls ideological state apparatuses state apparatuses. You might look at the family, family values. You might look at the media and be like, those are obviously not part of the state. So he says, we can ignore that first observation for the moment, but someone is bound to question the second, asking me by what right I regard as ideological state apparatuses, institutions which are for the most part, which for the most part do not possess public status, but are quite simply private institutions. (laughs) As a conscious Marxist, Gramsci already forestalled this objection in one sentence, which is funny because Miliband forestalls his objection to that in one (laughs) sentence as well. The distinction between the public and the private is a distinction internal to bourgeois law and a valid to the subordinate domains in which bourgeois law exercises its authority. The domain of the state escapes it because the latter is above the law. The state, which is the state of the ruling class, 
class is neither public nor private. On the contrary, it is the precondition for any distinction between public and private. Let me do a quick book swap here. Go to, what is it, page 57 in this one. So basically, what's he saying there? He's basically just saying that uh, the state is part of bourgeois society, so are all of these other things, right? And that, uh, you know, back off, don't at me. That's why I'm calling them ISAs. Yeah, I mean, he's he's speaking... Um, I suppose we talked a little bit about structuralism last week. Sure. I, I don't even know whether I can give a very good definition of what... Exact, it's about structures. Exactly, that is. But it's about structures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well done. And um, has the potential to be uh, quite rigid. And I think it's the sort of like the, it's not. This is not really a um, historical um, description of um, the state or the mode of production or notions like that. It's not the same kind of historical analysis you get from Ellen Mixon's Wood. Well, sure. you wouldn't necessarily expect that because Louis Althusser is a philosopher and Mixon's Wood is actually a historian kind of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but for someone like Wood, and to some extent. Um, Miliband, like different, different. They they take something like the transition from feudalism to capitalism, right? And then the continued development of capitalism up until the point where we now live in this world where there are supposedly um, apparatuses of the state that are to take responsibility for repression and apparatuses which take mm. responsibility for uh, ideological indoctrination. Um, mm. Mm. There, I, there is, and we both, we both, we believe, and they would both contest that. Um, there was a tr- there was a fixed transition that happened between one mode of production and another, and they were sort of like um, there there is a qualitative difference between the two. Sure. Um, but that said, like all of these developments from one to the other happen in a very gradual way. Things are advanced more than others. Certain things, um, uh, cer- certain structures of feudalism only need to be changed in such a way that they're compatible with capitalism. It's not that that every aspect of it has to be overturned in its entirety kind of thing mm. um so you're always going to get these sort of like cultural and social institutional outliers which are sort of like still reminiscent of uh feudalism or still bear the hallmarks of this historical process that's happening sure um and althusser to his credit doesn't necessarily not sort of like gesture toward that idea mm. But you you do also get the sense in which he's really trying to speak of the specificity of specificity of capitalism in a way which um, doesn't really recognize um, the sort of like asymmetrical development of capitalism from feudalism in various different ways. If that makes any sense, sure. like um, in a historical analysis, you get. I mean, I always keep using the word granular, but like, <laughs> we're going to parse these granular details. I don't details. know. Yeah, yeah. Some kind. <laughs> it feels like more of a fine, detailed analysis of of, of events, kind of, th- of sure. developments. Um, whereas so much of what you seem to be getting from Althusser is like a description of the structure of capitalism, which is kind of like uh, totemic, all-encompassing. Um, all dominating. All so. dominating. Yeah. And so it's in that kind of context that you, 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 I mean, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, we don't get enough of the Gramsci quote to really, yeah. um, well, we didn't need to, to, one to, <laughs> <laughs> um, to really actually have enough to say what, it, what we, what we are able to think about Gramsci. Yeah. And to some extent that, that sentence has some appeal. Sure. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, totally. Of course. The, the, the it's and I think we're, we 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 would be really worthwhile sort of like in future or now or mm. the listener 
thinking <laughs> about the idea that um, certain distinctions that we're told are a significant, something like the distinction between the public and the private might be um, a bourgeois distinction kind of thing. Sure. Um, but that said, that the notion that like... Um, what 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 Althus is trying to read into that statement, I suppose, and what that statement is trying to communicate, um, it is that there is this sort of solid whole of capitalism, um, its ideological structure, it sort of like permeates everything and is everywhere, and you are thoroughly in it. Yeah. Um, in a in a way which um, what Jack's about to say about um, <laughs> quoting from. Uh, Miliband has a lot more sort of like historic specific detail in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's see what you'd like to say. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's, I'll read two sentences. One, which is what you, exactly what you were getting at, where he says, um, when he's kind of talking about the structural and the um, kind of like granular detail, right? He says that these statements do not really actually contradict each other. They simply reflect different and contradictory facets of a complex reality in which the opposing forces of tradition and actuality on one hand and of change on the other do battle for the consciousness of the working class. But the sentence that he uses to directly criticize um, uh, Louis is calling all of these state ideological apparatuses is based on or at least produces a confusion between class power and state power, a distinction which it is important not to blur. So, I mean, I do have to wonder if you were to confront Althusser on this, if he would kind of back down a little bit and be like, let's just notes, bro, like, chill out. Like, <laughs> like obviously, if you're going to take well, that just, approach, yeah, to, to you're right. Extent, this is, this, what, I mean, what we get, what we, what is happening here is sort of what you were describing from the beginning, right? Like, mm. um, I suppose all all distinctions can be blown out of proportion to the extent where like yeah. people are taking up arms to def- defend one side <laughs> or other, and so that that's why that first Miliband quote is quite nice. Where it's yeah. like, relax, we can all be friends. Yeah, relax, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and like, it, it it's almost like a, a different a difference in focus. Sure, Althusser sort of spends ninety percent of his time sort of like presenting a sort of structure and analysis which I suppose is his right, and then <laughs> spends 10% of the time sort of alluding to these other things that are going on. Um, but his focus is much more on the structural side, whereas like um, Miliband's perhaps much more on the sort of like historical yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly when Miliband is calling for this sort of historical analysis where you look at the state as divorced from class kind of thing and sure. try and work out what the historic relationship is between those two. Or at least... A little bit more specific, and what yeah, you're saying, yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. Entirely but there's course, a, there's an extent to which, like, Miliband glossed over a lot because it's hard not to. Um, I mean, Althusser presents a kind of Marxist analysis of the state, um, which basically just says that the state is uh, thoroughly capitalist, bourgeois kind of thing. It's an it's a um, it's an arm of uh, class power and class oppression, um, and it's responsible for. Uh, reinforcing capitalist norms and also takes the response but uh, I mean the the, the, the the sort of over the the overarching or the starting point anyway of this whole first half of this essay is basically sort of talking about how the capitalist society reproduces itself I think you said some of this before sure and yeah yeah the, yeah this 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 this, fo- this focus that's happened on how does capitalism reproduce um it's sort of physical stump substance like how does it produce more inputs more commodities that go into the production process to make other commodities kind of thing mm. um 
so yeah how does it reproduce reproduce the factories how does it reproduce the the sort of material inputs into the productive process mm. and to some extent how does it reproduce the workers right like how much money are they paid as a wage kind of thing the or, historical variable uh, minimum but I, 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 I like no I, I really quite liked that oh, that yeah. addendum was quite good because yeah. like because there is this historic there is this confusion in Marxism where it's like um, the the wages of workers always tends to be what the minimum is to yeah. maintain them yeah um, well here's a good example of houses that like gesturing toward a historic process right like mm. it's not that workers are paid only the bare minimum yeah it is a sort of historically specific amount of money mm. um and it comes about through, through various historical means but particularly through class struggle right? yeah exactly it's the result of um workers and capitalists like struggling to from but pushing and pulling towards yeah whatever the accepted amount is at any one given time kind of thing yeah um, he does my favorite little uh, tiny marks quote there where he's like marx was like for example the historical minimum in england is beer for the workers and in france it's wine <laughs> it's like oh okay <laughs> the workers need drinks everybody mm-hmm. mm. so yeah where, where, where were we at what were we saying I, yeah i don't know i was i think i was just going to add on one more thing which is that i really do kind of um i think appreciate obviously i appreciate both approaches um and i think both are necessary to have and both are necessary to study but i think if it's like okay why are we reading these texts why do we want to know any of this why are we studying them it's to interpret the world so it's so we can change it right and it's like what's going to be more useful this like telling everybody bro like these big structures like you don't even try dude because it's like they're just so overpowering and the media dude it's like it's all the bourgeoisie dude it's just like whatever become an anarchist like me i'm louis althusser just kidding but or like (laughs) or the become a stalinist like me exactly or the um I'm I used to be very it... defensive about. I said this last week, didn't huh. I? I won't repeat myself. I said this <laughs> last week. I used what? to be very defensive about Alcides, and people <laughs> would suggest sure. that he was basically just a crypto Stalinist. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we, yeah, I think he's a crypto anarchist. <laughs> so you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, or like the the I hesitate to call it the Miliband approach, but like the historical approach. What we've seen in the Wood reading and the Miliband reading, um, which is this: no, if you actually want to interpret the world to change it, you can't fall prey to these just big overarching like it's all it's all the bourgeoisie right yeah. you really need to understand your enemy i suppose right because you need to be able to see its weak points see what it actually is because it, that's how you're going to change things if you go into a, you know a fight thinking that your enemy is something different than what it is you're going to miss strategize mm-hmm. and misinterpret yeah, everything yeah, yeah. i suppose it's very hard to work out um how this is meant to be of serious practical use sure um, I mean, except for like purveying bong rip takes, I suppose, or like, <laughs> bong rip takes galore, <laughs> um, <laughs> or like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's what was fun- in that pipe, it's, fun- uh, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Like he describes, um, he 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 clearly thinks and he speaks in a kind of like pseudo scientific way. Yeah, I don't know whether it, like there is a sort of neutral use of the term pseudoscience or there's like a pejorative use of the term pseudoscience, yes. and I don't know which of those it is that he is engaged in. Um, but there's so much of it's like here is the theory so far. Um, there's a bit where he's trying. He 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 constantly he keeps saying, but but the theory that I advanced so far is purely descriptive, and then he'll say yeah. something more, and he's like, but this is still partially descriptive, kind of thing. Um, which, and descriptive in this case seems to mean that like, um, here's my theory. I'm applying it to reality. Here are my examples of how it cons- corresponds to reality. 
Um, but it's still only descriptive because you haven't added any new theory on top. He always wants to, um, but which is which is which, given the the um, the title that we've chosen for our podcast kind of thing. Yeah, that w- was never properly explained. But maybe we'll explain it a bit <laughs> later one day. Days. Um, we're meant to be all about like supplements, just sure. every kind of thing. Love a good so, supplement. <laughs> so this uh, um. And uh, so maybe there is something about the sort of the gesture towards science that he's making, which um, uh, we can appreciate, at least in a sort of like terms of social science kind of thing. And we're not getting to debate as to whether like yeah. Marxism is a hard science in and of itself. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> can I? Can but yeah, I... but, but, it, but, but there, there is, a, it does sort of feel like the, his focus is always to add more theory, regardless of whether what what answer he always wants to add theory even though there isn't anything to answer necessarily that's mm. sort of what it feels like anyway mm. whether that's true or not i don't know because i mean clearly the addendums he's making are necessary to some extent like sure. um a- adding the idea of a um well giving name to these structures which purvey ideology but they're not directly repressive um is fair enough, I suppose, kind of thing. And I suppose his idea is, if you add more theory, um, then it can lead to a better description. Um, and I suppose then perhaps he he thinks that he's added, he's given us a better description. So sure. I suppose that is kind of the, the gesture that he's making toward uh, development of practical thought and use kind of thing. Sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't you, don't feel, you don't feel particularly illuminated yeah. by the reading of it necessarily. <laughs> There's a lot of theory, a lot of theory going yeah. on. Um, well, let's get, let's get into some of the stuff where the theory is actually useful. I think that when he talks about, um, when he kind of goes into parse the granular details of what some of these ISAs are, where he goes in specifically to talk about some of them. There's some that he didn't talk about because he makes a big list about what the ISAs are in his belief. Yeah. And some of them he doesn't about, like, talk about. Union ISAs yeah, he doesn't talk about that. Talk about that. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, but he does talk quite a bit about schools, right? Yeah, I mean, um, it's annoying this right? This is this is the kind of like, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. This is the, this is the heights of the kind of bomb bong rippery kind of thing. Where it's like, yeah. it's kind of like, whoa, man, have you ever realised that like <laughs> the school day and the work day are sort of like similarly structured? Yeah, and no kidding. Maybe it's what I'm <laughs> no kidding. Like, yeah, we know. Yeah, like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But a bit, it's, it's like a bit of that where it sort of feels like, um, yeah, you're just being descriptive, like in the guise of. like adding some kind of useful theory but yeah yeah i mean i think it is useful to if you're trying to explain to someone about like someone who doesn't really maybe have any kind of marxist background trying to explain to them sure yeah and maybe this is why sort of like the the concepts of the ideological state apparatus and the repressive state apparatus are used uh, as kind of introductory concepes that's why they are taught in i don't know what kind of departments at universities Mm. they're taught in Mm. literary departments i suppose Mm. Mm, our famous bugbears philosophy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe maybe political science as well kind of thing sure they do so i suppose the the, the the those concepts in and of themselves do communicate um something that is quite important to communicate right which mm. is like capital people who live under capitalism are in some ways constructed as capitalist subjects mm. um obviously you have to believe believe you have to well, I suppose you have to believe, but you have to behave is what I meant to say. Uh, but you have to sort of believe in that behavior as well. Yeah. Which is kind of what he's talking about in ideology, right? Like he's, the thrust of his theories of ideology are that um, you kind of have to believe in what you're doing kind of thing. Sure. Um, sure. And it's an active choice to have faith in that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's perhaps important to communicate the idea that, 
well, the, the, the schools or the family or the church or what yeah. have you teach you a whole set of norms which are the ones that are um allow you to function in yeah. contemporary society yeah he calls why it would, know-how, why, right? why would they do otherwise <laughs> yeah ex- yeah exactly well he calls it know-how maybe we've hit upon kind of like why this is like as you say an ur text because it's like it explains to you these concepts of isas and rsas which do kind of like open the third eye so to speak you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah. because like yeah to a certain extent like you get why he calls the media a state apparatus because it's like there hit you know american history obviously is just like rife with collusion i suppose yeah, between yeah, the yeah. two like i mean famously between like the Luces and um henry Luce owned like time and life and um the eisenhower administration as well as the dulles brothers um who were like the state for a long time <laughs> um but also just like with you know breaking stories and stuff like that i mean there is obviously collusion but there's also a long history of like it pushing back too yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like yeah that battling back and forth and not really mutually exclusive these two ideas um so maybe that's why it's kind of thought of yeah as like maybe that's that's good text yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah just it's just it's a good yeah yeah i think you could probably just, it's, show it's a, it's these a good ideas introductory text yeah i think you could show these ideas to like a libertarian and they'd be like you're goddamn right like, you know who wrote that a marxist <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we win them over that's how we win the over uh, that's how we win them over win the that's over. my that's what i've always been saying is that libertarians this isn't like a big crazy take, but it's like <laughs> libertarians are just anarchists who are just like haven't been given the opportunity Maybe we have to give them an anarchist to read. Yeah, a pretentious yeah. anarchist. Just anti-social anarchists. Like anti-social anarchists. Yeah. yeah, anti-social libertarian, social anti-club anarchist club. Yeah. But that, but but like you are like, um, I mean that's the that's the it's kind of like your point to the crux of the Miliband criticism, mm. right? Like mm. it's not um, it's not bad to teach those two uh, have those sort of two competing ideas in mind. Sure. The RSA and the ISA kind of thing, or um, the, or rather the sort of like both repressive and I don't know whether Miliband is actually suggesting toward there's a there's both a, a to perhaps a repressive and a ideological aspect to what the state does, and a repressive and ideological aspect to what other class actors do, kind of thing. Like supposing mm. that state power and class power are different things, which uh, which Al Thuser does agree. I mean, he, I mean, he well, I suppose he agrees with the fact that power and the apparatuses are hmm. separate right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, yeah, yeah i suppose not what you're saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> let me just yeah, interrupt you yeah. <laughs> um but anyway and he he also does he, he makes some quite interesting addendums as well mm. which kind of complicates his um his theory to trips over himself there's a bit where he's like there's a bit where he's like we could we could paint it in such a way that what the ideological state apparatus is is operate purely by deploying sort of like ideological means mm. and um, uh, purvey ideology and the repressive state apparatus purely are repressive and use repressive power and uh, force to uh, secure their ends and then the next paragraph is like but actually there's a certain mm. extent to which ideological apparatuses deploy force and there's a certain extent to which yeah. state apparatuses are ideological so there's yeah. always this kind of like here are our big theories but actually there's always this mixing kind of thing and yeah. i think maybe the only criticism of this is that like if you focus too much on the on the on the theoretical uh names and definitions for all of these things without sort of like with it's, it's more important to focus on the the messiness than the cleanliness of the theory you mm. want to look at the sort of messiness of the reality kind of thing um mm. 
So there's that, and there's also the addendums that he makes, like, whereas, like, state apparatuses is kind of you're talking about one unified thing, whereas all the ideological separatists kind of operate all of their own accord. Autonomous you know, so it's not kind of like you have yeah. these two... You have these two types of thing, but the ideological ones aren't all actually unified and working toward end, one end necessarily. They have their own ways of operating. And, sure. Um, which is not, not necessarily... A, mm. Well, many of them are just have to rely on the dictates of the market as well which makes them yeah, not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. just at the whims of um the state mm -hmm. either mm -hmm. so um it's true it's true <laughs> you know it's true um i did think it was interesting where when he was trying to make the distinction uh between state apparatuses and state power he was like um yeah i mean look at 1917 right i mean that's when this basically the state kind of survived like for the most part, yeah, you know, yeah. At least for the bureaucracy, like it was just kind of still just more or less the same thing, but that the power had shifted. To yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you bring up that case yeah. kind of thing because, yeah. like, yeah, he's really keen to separate um, state power from the apparatuses kind of thing, which is quite nice actually. Because what because I was talking about like um, his sort of historical transitions being sort of like gradual, messy affairs rather than mm. clean cut things. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the, the to some extent the 1970s revolution in russia i mean it's not even to some extent like yeah. self-evidently is not mm. analogous to the transition from feudalism to capitalism kind of sure thing. um but as a, as, a, as a faltered effort to uh, re replace one system with the other per se perhaps mm. um yeah it, it, it's it's i i appreciate that he makes that distinction that you could ostensibly change the per the, the even if you change the class that has the power of the state all of the apparatuses of the state remain the same, and then you have to sort of systematically battle with the old apparatuses yeah. and create new ones or to change the old ones to your... I mean, he uses the example of Lenin um, desiring to remake Soviet education kind of thing to make yeah. it sort of non-capitalist and yeah. socialist. In its outlook, which, yeah. And which comes back to your... I mean, I don't know whether this is good or not, right? Whether the, whether the, whether the, whether, because you were talking about like the utopia having ideology in it kind of mm. thing, which is fair enough, but like mm. um, pre, pre the point where humanity sort of like leaves its prehistoric infancy that we're still in and sort of like uh, reaches um, communism. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, uh, but, it... no, but, but what, how should we think about that idea uh, that, we need to create our own apparatuses of one kind or other, ideological in some ways. Like, well, um, I would. I, how favorably look on the idea of Lenin and the Soviet Communist Party, like creating ideological apparatuses of its own? Mm. I mean, in 1917, you can be like, yeah, that's cool. Whereas by like 1933 or 34 or whatever, the ideological apparatuses of the Soviet Union probably not something that we should. Um, <laughs> be taking as our model for like, sure. i don't know i don't know sure well, i mean it's a difficult but, there is a, but like uh, ideological apparatus is now functioning in a sort of like totalitarian way um do we want to try and reproduce totalitarian apparatuses or is there a more sort of like egalitarian uh I don't know, education system what what would a socialist education system look like is basically what i'm saying i suppose That's a good point. something to which we kind of answer but i mean but i think like, I th but see but by simply drawing an analogy between capitalist education and socialist education, yeah, um, it's not not not, uh, not what anybody's doing other than the thought experiment that I'm having in my head right <laughs> now, but also not something that we should be aiming for. I yeah, I also think that that kind of just brings me back to tying up a lot of what we've done so far with like even just like the Corbyn stuff, right? Where it's like 
what more so the Meeksons would, where it's like, if we really want to try and consider a transition, again, trying to use all this information to like actually change things, if we really want to try and consi consider how a transition would occur between capitalism and socialism, it's, it seems very difficult to do it with just the seizing of the state apparatus and trying to just battle with this huge multi-headed stake snake with which is not just the state apparatus but it's also what he calls all these ideological apparatuses right and it seems like that's why um we saw a lot of these this is a bit of a misnomer but like failed transitions to what could maybe have been capitalism right mm -hmm. because the social relations just weren't there so it's really it does seem like at least using history as our guide there would have to be some kind of change in social relations before things even can kind yeah, of like come close really, to a really, permanent that's change really interesting. right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. my big theory of the day yeah. and it's <laughs> I'll, I'll take credit for that that was me <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah it, i agree yeah it's hard to hard to imagine just seizing the american state and being like socialism there you go done that's why we're reading state and revolution next week yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always promising always never, promising. never delivering, never delivering <laughs> to our leninist fans um yeah, yeah i was um a lot of this is premised on the idea of um, the distinction between uh, the base and the superstructure. Yes. Which I thought would be interesting to talk a little bit about. Sure. We haven't really touched on it. We sort of gestured mm. toward it in some of our previous episodes. Yes. Um, I'm getting kind of cold on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Althusser's like um, presents it as being this kind of like central Marxist notion kind yeah. of thing. And I find a lot of this really quite funny because one of the things that I knew about Althusser was that like he kind of thought that he he was he developed this idea of an ep epistemological break that happened in Marx where like there was a younger Marx and an older mm. Marx. And now we quite frequently talk about a mature Marx and an immature Marx kind of thing. Sure. But he was thinking very very um like a really big schism that happened kind of thing. And it was mostly so that he could um reject the, the the in his day the sort of the new and developing school of thought which was marxist humanism and he was sort of mm. like an anti-humanist famously kind of thing um, so that's part of the reason why he developed this um developed this concept of an epistemological break in marxist thinking but <laughs> that being said it does kind of feel like lots of his examples are drawn from the early marx yeah ways. you're right <laughs> like, yeah like um i mean even something like ideology like mm ideology kind of feels i mean this is just reporting what i've sort of heard now kind of thing so yeah uh but like ideology quite prominent in early marxist writing in the german ideology for example mm. um but then not really mentioned very much at all in capital and althusser even says that like it's yeah. not really a concept used very much in capital and althusser seems to decide that he needs to elucidate a theory of ideology to help Marx out kind of thing. And sort of, it, I mean, the other way of turning around is like, so why did Marx stop using this term ideology kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and similarly, like he, was, he puts a lot of value in the idea of the um, separation of base and superstructure, which again is kind of like a, a more, an idea associated more with the earlier Marx kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and isn't so prevalent later on. Um and uh, he, yeah, he makes it this sort of central idea of Marx. It's, it's quite good, actually, in that he... Well, I don't know whether it's good or bad. From an ease of reading and thinking standpoint, um, he doesn't easily differentiate between Marx and Marxism. Mm. But you have to read quite... Once you read a little bit closer, every time you see, you see he's talking about Marxism, I suspect 
the best way to read it would be to see that he's not actually talking about Marx anymore. He's talking about the development of Marx's theory. Kind yeah. of thing. So when he's talking about the state and he talks about like, he, talk, he refers quite a lot to like um, Marxist texts of one kind of other or key Marxist texts. Yeah. When he's talking about the state, he's probably talking about state and revolution when he talks about a key yeah. Marxist state, yeah. a text kind of thing. Uh, and similarly, when he's talking about um, the difference between base and state, this is why I keep sort of alluding to him being a crypto-Stalinist, <laughs> right? Like, the 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 distinction between base and superstructure became very prevalent in um, the ideology of the Soviet Union and in the, I suppose the writings of Stalin, but also sort of what came to be considered Stalinist theory kind of thing. Mm. Um, basically, because the Soviet Union was engaged in this active this activity of like um, developing its sort of productive base, all of its direction and thought was sort of at this sort of like uh, economic activity. Um, how do we develop our productive forces? We just need to produ develop our productive forces. And once we have the productive forces necessary to have communism, we can then have the social relations of communism kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, whereas like um, in actual, the writings of Marx, that distinction is considerably less significant. And I read one criticism of it from our old friend, uh, Ellen Mixes Wood. Oh. <laughs> um, and the, I mean, the basic argument that she makes is that... Um, Marx's analysis, although it's kind of like directed at the economic, he always finds behind the economic social relations. Yeah. He he. I mean, it's it's bourgeois economics to use sort of like <laughs> quite tired language, it's, or I don't know, like sure uh, alienating language or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it is the sort of pro. It's the it's the economists who are um, pro capitalist. Um, who are mo and the sociologists to that extent as well, who are most interested in defending capitalism, who are the ones that are also most interested in separating the economic from the social. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the gesture of Marx and Marxism ought to be um, to show how all economic activity is actually social activity. Um, and Meeks's Woods criticism is that if you hold to the idea of the base and superstructure, really what you're doing is obscuring or hampering um, the actual ability to develop theories in that lane kind of thing. Like um, you're you're actually obscuring or making more difficult that work of mm. seeing the social behind the economic kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you're making it difficult to parse the granular details. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but like um yeah and I mean I I don't like the the most egregious criticism to make of base and superstructure is kind of like if you say that behind the sort of like but yeah like Althusser uses this language of like a, the the multiple stories of a building like you have the economic foundations of society and then the various uh, uh, floors of a building are built on top of it and he names certain of those floors like the ideological state apparatus and the the repressive state apparatus this kind of thing um, but one of the problems is if you if you make the economic base the sort of determining factor but then we're all forced to live in the superstructure you do end up with this question of how does the superstructure relate back to the base kind of thing like how do you change the base now i don't think that's what Althusser. is i think he is trying to offer a way out of that um i think his his efforts to look at how society reproduces itself 
and I suppose it's I, I'm just I'm just guessing now. <laughs> Maybe you could look at the way the suggestion that society is constantly reproducing itself, and given that society is in this pro constant activity of reproducing itself, um, and it's not like um, it's not like once you've transitioned to capitalism, it's done. But like there is this constant work going on. If the constant work is still going on, then you can always find ways to interrupt that work of the reproduction of capitalism. Um, and maybe that leads to a, mm. a way out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, I guess you're still just left with like the idea of trying to tackle those apparatuses, though. Yeah. At, yeah, yeah like yeah. you put yourself at the top. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, now what? Yeah. Um, which is funny because, I mean, for someone who definitely, like, uh, recognizes all of these different aspects of capitalist society as being relatively autonomous, but all working towards a general uh, similar goal, it does seem like m making the claim that they all, I guess, have a similar goal that is rooted in kind of like the economic mode uh, it makes it tricky for him to parse all of those. It's like, how autonomous are these things? Mm -hmm. How how much are we able to actually change it? But I mean, I guess that's just structuralism in a nutshell, right? Yeah. It's like, well, okay then. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, now what? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely like an interesting text to, I suppose, be introduced to structuralism, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To understand... I was just about to say, maybe we need to find a better introduction. <laughs> maybe we need to find a text that will introduce just structuralism better. Yeah, well... <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think generally just explaining these ideas of the ISAs and RSAs is a very good way of being very broad about a broad theory, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Having said that, these are all more or less notes. Um, and I suppose maybe though that's why it is this text that is kind of considered an introductory. Yeah, because you can set it as a weekly reading. Kind of yeah, thing, and probably. and pick and choose what you want from it, and yeah, yeah. Um, not mess with the coherency such as there is some throughout the entire text. Uh -huh. um, glad we read it though. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it'll be interesting to see what other texts we wind up doing that are similar to it in the sense of like trying to figure out why these are considered like I want to become a socialist what do I read? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of an oh, interesting yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. set of yeah, things yeah, to yeah, study yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to study them as that and not, not as like, <laughs> not state revolution. Exactly. Lenin who? Um, but yes, but just to kind of realize maybe to understand uh, why these texts are considered so foundational. And then also, yeah. And I think also reading things that aren't, yeah, 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 why they aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is an interesting exercise. It was one that I kind of didn't really expect to have to do which was read something like this and figure out like what's the big deal yeah. what's the hubbub um yeah interesting yeah interesting. Maybe, yeah so, yeah maybe the question of this episode has, has been all this reading has been for us like what's the big deal about this text kind of <laughs> what's thing? the big which was, idea which is the problem that i was having to some extent like i was coming from the point of already having read certain things which, which were critical sure. of it and then trying desperately to not well, I, I, initially I was just like, I'm just going to be thoroughly critical. And then <laughs> afterwards trying to actually uh, give it its due kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And that's a good exercise in and of itself kind of thing. Like, you sh I guess you should always try and give every text or every idea its own space. Try yeah. and work out what its internal logic is, what its argument is. Um, yeah. Coming the only it... way to test the validity of something is to yeah. try and work with it. But with an with a presumed coherency kind of thing, um, coming at it from that angle, you definitely think of a lot of <laughs> what is being written as like bong rip takes. Because like <laughs> when you get to the bit about the schools, it's like yes, you're right. Children do learn how to have a job at school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. All in all, I think yeah. Glad we read it. Glad we got it out of the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, the, it's the, the, right at the end. There's a little like postscript kind of thing. Yeah, which I found very refreshing, very useful. Yeah, because it's at that point that he's like, it actually, he he, he it's the that's the only point where he actually sort of talks about class struggle and class conflict. Mm. And you're suddenly put in the position. Oh, well, okay, actually, what's really hap- What's really we should be focusing on, be much more interested in, is the back and forth of the class conflict kind of thing, mm. and how does that influence the, the um, I don't know. The base, the superstructure, the the the, yeah. the 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 mode of production, um, in its entirety, kind of thing. But, yeah. But you, I, you, I just felt a bit like, well, why wasn't this in the text? Yeah, I know. Like, why, 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 why wasn't this a text about class struggle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't know. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'll read a little bit from that just because it is interesting. He said that is why the ISAs are not the realization of ideology in general, nor even the conflict-free realization of the ideology of the ruling class. The ideology of the ruling class does not become the ideology of the of not become the ruling ideology by the grace of God, nor even by the virtue of the seizure of state power alone. It is by the installation of ISAs in which this ideology is realized and realizes itself that it becomes the ruling ideology. But this installation is not achieved all by itself. On the contrary, it takes stake in a very bitter and continuous class struggle. First against the former ruling classes and their positions in the old and new ISAs, then against the exploited class. And it's like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's like, wow, I wish that's what this entire thing was <laughs> yeah. about because you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not because there, there is a way in which you can look at this as like, he's just laid this sort of like, you just let, you, you take the, the sort of like the raw matter of society and you lay this structural sheet over it and suddenly everything is sort of like conforms to it kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas really it's a much more kind of like active historical, yeah. political process kind of thing. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you there. No, it's all good. I was just, I basically was just going to say that it's like, you know, I think that was the point of the text and he got a little bit too in his own head because at the very beginning he's like here's my main thesis he goes on to expound like 10 other theses right that he lists but it's like his main thesis is that um right coming back to the beginning of the episode it's like how are social relations reproduced and he says it there in the, in the postscript yeah <laughs> it's like yeah, there you go but I mean again this was probably written for people who are more interested in um kind of like uh, philosophy than me so I understand that and I also understand that he was writing this as notes and I also understand that he was writing this from a position um, as an anarchist so, <laughs> it's a radical theory but you're sticking to it so. <laughs> I'm sticking to it I'm sticking to it tune in next week to hear my theories about how um, Noam Chomsky is actually just a neoliberal <laughs> um, that would be a radical take <laughs> that would be a radical take uh, a hot one, I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. Nice. All right. Al Thuser, we did it. We got we did through it. To talk Oof, about it. Boy, <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to hear a cut of us going. Oh, should we do it? And then us coming out the other end. Oh boy, there we <laughs> no, go. We did it. Yeah. Oof. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any parting thoughts on Al? Um, uh, yeah, not really. Not not really. No, mm. I don't. I I think um, we've we've um, we've dealt with some sections of the argument and i think we've tried to overlay our own uh sort of meta-analysis of what's happening but i don't know whether i don't know whether he offers a much of it there, there doesn't i don't know whether there's much of a coherent arc to it or, yeah but to some extent there is and we haven't necessarily uh portrayed that fairly perhaps so i just want to like uh give him give him in some space that's the auxiliary statement come on the show. Kind of treatment come on, come on the show. <laughs> defend yourself debate me um all right well yes there you go read it yourself let us know what you think or, or don't <laughs> yeah go ahead and at dan um let him know send us a dm um 
yeah, not sure what we're doing next week. It'll be good, though. It'll be fun. It won't be like this, I would assume, but maybe it will be. <laughs> you never know. Well, this has been fun. This has been fun. Yeah. This has been good. It's been fun to uh, do. <laughs> um, all right, then. All right, then. Have you given up? Yes. Uh, week late. Happy Thanksgiving, though. Um, oh, yeah. And... Did you have the ice No, of course. I was just about like, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I meant to ask you this at the start, but it's a, it's a stupid rhetorical question. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did. a rhetorical question. It was did you nice. have a nice Thursday on nice. your own? <laughs> I had a nice Thursday. Um, it was very nice. Um, ate some food. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. It's... Uh, it's uh, our timeline yeah it's uh <laughs> frederick Engels's 200th birthday tomorrow and also i'm gonna say this it's Engels's birthday it's also dan's birthday uh, dan will be turning 21 um again. shoot him off shoot him, <laughs> shoot him all of the nice dms um uh, uh, yeah uh, look at that Maybe we should read some. Maybe we should read some like angles. Or yeah, that's what we should have done. I did have this aspiration. Mm. As, a, as an economist, Michael Roberts, at the beginning of the month, he released a book, Engels uh, mm. Two Hundred, like Engels' oh, cool. contribution to Marxist thought. Now, I think maybe we're a bit early in our adventure into this <laughs> we'll subject get, yeah, matter we'll and there. podcasting in general yeah. to have read that book. But I did <laughs> have the idea of reading this book. But but Engels, yeah, someone that deserves more more space and more time and more thought. I was reading another introduction to like Marxist economics recently. Uh, and discovered that it was basically Engels who was the first person to recognise the significance of political economy. Hmm. It was also the first person to sort of identify as a communist, I think, before yeah. Marx kind of thing. Um, also, I think also the first person to just recognise the the significance of class and the working class in general kind mm. of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think Engels quite often described as the first Marxist, even before Marx kind yeah. of thing, uh, yeah. to some extent, like an outlier hmm. to that, to his to Marx. Mar- Marx's contribution is obviously massive and sure, one yeah. that's about shadows. Um, but give Engels his due. Give him his due, folks. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You and say... a better beard. And a good beard. But he, he was... Fantastic beard. He was... He was... Um, yeah. He was a beard guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he moved yeah. to England. He's a beard guy. Um, you say first person to uh, call himself a communist. I... Of, of Marx and Engels, not sure. in history. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I'd always, I'd always kind of heard, though, that the word communist was kind of made because Marx really wanted there to be a distinction between him I, and the French socialists. Yeah, I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm not sure whether it was communism is just... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, at that time, and in my usage, <laughs> I I use them interchangeably. Mm. I, I, presume, I mean, that maybe that should have been something that the listener discovered before now. Like, quite often when I, I like... I'm quite... Like, it's, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, depending who you are and where you come from, those terms relatively toxic i mean to you mm. like even socialism probably sure. quite yeah. a toxic term yeah, yeah forget communism kind of yeah thing. yeah absolutely um and here less so here less so or more so and i suppose there's a debate as to whether you should use these terms or give them up i think that's there's, a there's, whole episode I think yeah it's a whole really episode in itself. i think my strategy has become like use them but try and disempower them of their significance sure. or give them i mean it, it, it it's a um it's a quite a um ambitious even sort of narcissistic take yeah to be like me alone is going to be the one person that defines this terminology yeah but like socialism communism i don't really they mean the same thing yeah but uh, yeah yeah I, I think i've heard several explanations as to why like mm. there's a word communism. Th- well yeah i don't know whether it, yeah i don't know whether it was um defined purely as a sort of german as opposed to french affectation or like piece i thought of it was just him being disappointed but it might have been that yeah i i have yeah, yeah I, I did I, it's at least one idea why marx favored communism over socialism as a term yeah. Um, to yeah, different distance himself from the French and 
Which, if that's the case, maybe we should be distancing ourselves from the word communism. But that'll be a whole other episode. Yeah, or socialism. And socialism. Well, one, I don't know. Well, both. If, Mar- if Marx chose communism over socialism and distanced himself from the French, then we should also sure. distance ourselves from the French. I- I'm all for distancing ourselves from the <laughs> after French. This week, after, after this, this week, week, I'm all for no distancing French people. <laughs> this is an auxiliary statement's promise. We will never read another French person on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make no such we'll make- Earlier on, I was like, maybe we should read some Foucault. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, oh, yeah, no. it, it, yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like we've been on a little, um, a little quest now. With, I mean, if hmm. if we've got a series of bigger ideas that we're multiple of our mm. episodes focused around, kind of thing. Sure. One of them seems to have become recently this sort of like I don't know, I don't know how you describe it, like ideology, mm. uh, culture, mm. kind of like. And I, I, yeah, I, I feel like we haven't. We're developing a thing. <laughs> we're sort of developing some idea of how capitalism sort of culturally why no ideologically reproduces itself yeah. why no revolution exactly yeah. um hmm. i don't know whether maybe maybe we'll take a break from that trajectory next week and i don't know think where to something go else. we'll watch some uh, scooby-doo yeah um, i don't know maybe yeah well <laughs> uh happy birthday dan for uh tomorrow which thank will you. be six days ago when happy, it is your birthday happy thanksgiving for yesterday thank you so much which will be eight days ago yes <laughs> little late, Dan, I will say. Um, yes, <laughs> that was Louis Althusser. Uh, what was it called? Ideology and the State. We got uh, through ideolo- it. We ideology it. and ideological state apparatuses. State apparatuses, yes. Notes, Notes towards an investigation. <laughs> this is much like our last, last week's episode. Yeah, yeah, part one, the addendum part Yeah, two. chapter three, <laughs> one. Chapter four, two, one. Um, but yes. It was good. Yes, yes, yes. And this, there you go. This has been a silly statement. I'm I'm Jack. We will see you next week. This has been the music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People To by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more comedy discussion. Till next time.